1: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
2: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
1: Smith long ball, looking for Solanke, who holds off the defender, Dom Solanke's got space here, has he got support? He has, and the ball is in the back of the net from Dan Juma. and the flag stays down. Or Steve Cook, four ball, straight to Daniel Johnson, Preston with an opportunity here, Daniel Johnson shot, finds the ball at Cora, and I'm afraid you have to say, the foreman in the last five or ten minutes
3: has looked a little bit more bold.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 116 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. This week, we're doing the boring bit early on. So, to tell you a little bit more about us, we're an independent fan channel dedicated to the highs and lows of AFC Bournemouth. We produce 10 hours of unique content each week via our podcast, YouTube channel, website and social media streams. Off-screen work includes updating the website, arranging guests, pre-show graphics and preparation post-production such as editing social media promotion and a lot more besides it's basically a full-time job our aim is to improve our output with better microphones by decent cameras have a proper podcast like the ones you see on youtube and also help to pay for our streaming platforms too including this one which is podiant We want to document the journey of AFC Bournemouth to the best possible quality we can. And next season, we want to make it Premier League quality, no matter the division we're in. If you're able to help, just pop to afcbpodcast.com forward slash coffee. So on to the cherries, and we dropped two points at Deepdale on Saturday against an unpredictable Preston North End side in a match which... Well, It was the archetypal game of two halves. A familiar tale of missed chances followed by getting punished for our mistakes. The single point leaves Cherry seventh in the league outside the playoffs, sick behind Barnsley, a team who've got one game in hand over us, one more point than us, and a team we're playing very, very soon. It's not looking good, is it? But there is time left. And with the Tykes and the Swans still to play at home, two results against them could be massive and we might not be as derailed as we thought on this podcast it's myself with jeff hayward and also tom jordan and mr tiggs that will take you through the game But as well as that, we're also going to give you a taster of an interview that's on YouTube right now. If you're not a subscriber to our channel, you know the address. I'm not going to read it out for you for the 10 millionth time. But we've got a pivotal signing in our first great escape season. A player whose darting runs and crucial goals were instrumental in our survival. He played 241 times for AFC Bournemouth, scoring an impressive 52 goals, of course. You know who it is. It's score-a-goal Stevie Robinson. The whole thing's on YouTube now. The whole audio will be dropping within the next couple of weeks, along with the other stuff, by the way. Frano, Ted McDougall, and a lot more to come besides. But if you want to watch it, it's on our YouTube stream, and we'll give you a 10-minute taster at the end of the second look at Preston North End on Saturday. A frustrating one. Let's hear from the boys. With me to discuss it, we've got pod regular Jeff Hayward. Jeff, how are you? Fine. Thank you, Sam. Excellent. Tom Jordan's here too. Tom, you're right.
0: Yeah, good,
3: mate.
1: And Tiggs is here as well. How are you, buddy?
3: Yeah, not too bad.
1: So, Jeff, one all before the game, maybe we'd have taken a draw, but based on the performance that we saw, especially in the first half, I think lots of Cherries fans
4: are going home disappointed and feel disappointed this weekend. Are you the same? deeply frustrating match to watch not just the constant bloody buffering of the live stream uh, but the the actual performance was uh, good first half and I think Preston were decidedly average and that's why I feel we are a bit cheated to only come away with a point because should have won that game. Mm.
1: But before the game you might argue that a point could be okay Tom based on Preston's Really impressive performance at Dean Court early in the season, but their form indicates—I mean, they're mid-table. They're very up and down, and they've been very up and down since. So it was a good chance to get three points on the board.
0: Yeah, I think at the moment we're not in a position where we'll be taking points. Um, it's it's a difficult one, but you know, if we were in a better position in the league, then we probably would be saying a point at Deepdale's a pretty good point. But um, yeah, I think like Jeff said, I I was actually surprised at how average they were because they were so good at Dean Court. Um, but I, I really didn't think much of them at all. Um, you know, obviously, we'll get on to the goal that we conceded. And apart from that, they didn't do anything. Um, yeah, so really, really frustrating. I think, look at it, the bigger picture, Watford, Bristol City, Preston. Yeah, it looks all right, seven points, doesn't it? I mean, we probably would have taken that. But um, yeah, when you've got six on the board, you take the lead against Preston. They're not really offering much. We should have kicked on and won the game. So it's a, it's a frustrating one. But yeah, big, bigger picture. It's it's not the end of the world. But yeah, just I think frustrating is the word that a lot of fans are going to come out with after that.
1: I think these matches tend to make me focus back on previous games. And then I start feeling negatively about them, Tig. So we drew this one. And then I think back to that previous one against Bristol City. We won with a goal that came off the bum in a performance that was all right, but not particularly brilliant. And then before that, it was... Um, a scrappy win against Watford, let's say that, where Begovic kept us in it. Maybe we could argue that their keeper kept it in them from then. And you think, have we really kicked on? I know these negative thoughts all can be decided on a knife edge. Had we scored an 88th minute own goal or whatever yesterday, I'm sure that everyone would have been delighted and we'll be all on the positive train. But at the moment, I'm I'm still 50-50 about where on earth we are as a team at the
3: moment. I think it's difficult for us to kick on. I think when you th- When you look at Woodgate and and when he's come in, he came in as caretaker to steady the ship. And I I feel that he's still just doing that. I don't think he's had time yet to really do a lot more. We can see that defensively we're doing different things. We're trying to clear the ball rather than play it from the back where we can more. Uh, But now he's got a week with the players, Sam. I think we can probably judge him a little bit better next week. And then again, after the international break, as to whether we are going to kick on or whether we are, this is going to be, maybe steady the ship is going to, sum up the whole season but I think the next month is going to make a big difference.
4: Do you know what Sam, this is a time full of cliches you know, every player that uh, that is coming up in front of the press is saying, take one game at a time, you know, seven points out of nine in a tough week's not bad the problem is as fans, what we're seeing is all the other teams, right two 96 minute penalties dodgy penalties for Swansea to win games yeah. who'd have thought that, Reading winning again Um, Watford winning, Barnsley on six straight wins, seven straight wins. And and here we are sort of getting a point where we should be one of those form teams that you think we should be talking about three wins in a row and instead we're talking about two wins in a draw. And that's what's deeply frustrating.
1: For me, it doesn't feel like at the moment we deserve to be in the playoffs. I mean, I know we're not, but if we did make it at the end of the season, Tom, it, it feels like so many other teams have had this kind of run. I mean, Barnsley, so impressive. Watford obviously have had their runs, but Bournemouth, we've, we've not really done it consistently all this season. So it wouldn't be incorrect for us not to be in the playoffs at the end of the season.
0: No, I think you, I think you end up where you deserve to be. So we'll see what happens coming of the season. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose you can look back and say that start of the season where we went on, yeah, there were too many draws, but we went on a massive unbeaten run, didn't we? The most in the country. And um I would have thought a lot of opposition fans would have been going, oh, Bournemouth have not lost again, you know, and, and that's just... But we all knew, you know, just watching the games, that we, it was kind of a little bit of... Um, it was a bit false, wasn't it? We weren't weren't playing brilliantly, but we seemed to be digging it out better. Um, we just consistently inconsistent, I would say we are. We just seem to... it Just ev- every game, I'm not really sure what we're going to do. Um, I would almost argue some of the games where I think we're playing better, we're not winning... And then when we're having a scrappy performance, we're getting a win. There's no real kind of it's frustrating because I looked at it yesterday and thought that um, probably the best first half under Woodgate. If it wasn't that one, it probably would have been QPR. We didn't win either of them. It's it, really bizarre. Um, and at games where we weren't as good, we've we've got over the line. So um, yeah, it's a weird one. But it's we all saw it yesterday. It was it's felt a little bit inevitable when we just couldn't get that second goal, and that's been a constant throughout the season I think.
1: So two o'clock teams came out Tiggs unchanged for the third Mm. game in a row same 11 that have played three matches in seven days and a little bit did that surprise you because it really did with me I thought he'd make some changes.
3: Oh yeah definitely and um, he did speak after the game about some of the players that weren't in the squad so Billing wasn't in the squad and Norrico because they'd had knocks very recently in training so Potentially, I think they were the two, they were the two players that I was thinking that he might he might bring in, certainly Billing, um, but on the other hand, I thought to myself well that 's good because he's left it consistent as long as you 're trying to keep those players on the pitch fresh by using the substitutions that are available to you, then that 's going to be absolutely fine i 'm sure we 'll get to that later
1: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> just deep in thought about that, so well, anyway, mm-hmm. it all started
1: it all started three o 'clock. Fake crowd noise inside the stadium. There's been a few places that have done that this year. As a player, Jeff, do you think you'd prefer that, or would you just prefer the the, the raw silence?
4: Well, as a player, I've always been used to raw silence when I've been playing. <laughs> so I would have found that very off-putting yesterday. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what what the players make of it. Does it make a difference? I mean, that first half showing it it didn't make a jot of difference, and um. Yeah. Like I say, I was wondering, did the players feel like we're used to on Sunday league matches? You know, Do they feel like that when they go out now? I didn't hear the sarcastic slow clap at any point. That,
3: that's yeah. what I'm used to. <laughs> I'll tell you what,
1: though, Bournemouth fans wouldn't have been slow clapping after what was a very energetic first half in general. But once again, Jeff, we get into these incredible positions, but the final touch is lacking. There's always an under-hit pass or an over-hit pass. We're just not finding our teammates. And as a result, attacks break down, Preston can clear. We did score, of course, when we scored, but there were so many amazing opportunities and some fairly good build-up play, but the final product wasn't there.
4: We had some good chances. There were also times where it seemed easier to create a chance than to muff it up, and we kept Mm. muffing it up. You know, there were simple simple three-yard passes to the overlapping fullback and it happened on both flanks you know junior was guilty of it arnie was guilty of it Where well, they just either totally overhit it under hit it misplaced it. it it was easier to make the pass and to create a chance so that was really frustrating to watch um the actual chances we did create lloyd kelly had a cracking effort. Keeper Everson made, oh. made a great save and I thought Arnie was very unlucky with probably our best move of the match where he flicked it in at the near post and the keeper made a, a point blank save. So yeah, there there were some good opportunities that we failed to create. Junior falling over when it would have been easier to have a shot and score oh, again. Was... And what is it with us? Why Why do we seem to play better against teams that are above us than those teams that are beneath us? Looking at the teams where we've dropped points this season in the bottom 12, Preston, you know, we've dropped, well, we've got one point out of six against Preston, zero points out of six against Wednesday, um, one point out of six against Derby. QPR one point. QPR one point out of six. What is it? What is it? And, it's not that we play badly against those sides, you know. We we play well. We have a lot of the ball. We're in this frame of mind where football is a game not measured on who scores more goals; it's on who's actually got the ball more. And if if we're we're winning the league by a country mile, if you did it that way, sadly, there's a lack of ruthlessness putting teams to the sword when we are on top, and and it's super frustrating. Do you think? These sort of teams
1: see it as a scalp, Tiggs. Do you think that they're looking at Bournemouth, ex Premier League side? They're going to play a low defensive block, and to get a draw against them or to get a win would be a fantastic result, and you know obviously give their own side a lot of confidence. So they're really well drilled against us. Whereas maybe, maybe the boys at the top, uh, you know, are less focused on on staying solid at the back, perhaps.
3: Yeah, I think you're right. I think when teams come to play us now, because we've got that Premier League tag associated with our name for the last five years, it probably helps them get motivated. That doesn't really, that shouldn't really impact upon our play. What I see is a a complacency that that drifts in, in that we just think that if we keep the ball, we'll win the game. I think that's going to take a long time for us to coach that out of our players. I felt that this time last year, we were having similar conversations about, how when we play against teams that are higher up the league, we tend to turn it on. And when we t- play against teams that are lower down the league, we tend to just sort of not really put them completely to the sword. So I think that is a something that teams come and they know and they know to expect from Bournemouth actually now. I think that's part of our makeup. It's gonna take a long time to get rid of.
0: I always think, I always think if I was a manager of a lower, lower in the table team in the championship and I was playing Bournemouth. I would just say to my players that they've got better players than you, right? Bournemouth have got better players than you. Keep yourselves in the game because they'll have a lot of the ball. So make sure, you know, you're still in the game, come 70 minutes, something like that, one 0 or your level. They are. They will make a mistake. So just keep yourselves in the game and you'll have an opportunity to nick a goal. But, you know, just let them have the ball because they're happy having the ball and they won't try and penetrate you. They'll just keep the ball. So just keep solid. And there will be a moment in the second half where you can nick something. And, and that's that's what happens is we just we get the first goal or don't get the goal and then we just knock it around because almost like the opposition are saying, Go on, have the ball, we're going, Oh, this is easy. And then they just wait yeah. for their moment to pounce. And um yeah, it's been like we mentioned a few games there, it's been so evident against the teams near the bottom that they're just keeping themselves in the game. We're not we never look like we're gonna I mean, there's been the odd the odd game in isolation, but we never look like we're gonna gonna proper take a team to the source so um yeah, it's a worrying trend. We've we've just listened to the Alex Neal team talk there. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Neal, what a record he's got against us. For Norwich, he used to always beat us. And he's done it again with Preston this season. We haven't beaten them. Um, yeah. So he's he's certainly someone that knows, kind of as, as, you know, beaten Bournemouth before in the past with different teams and, and probably knows that, you know, we've got good footballers, but let let them have the ball. Let them have the ball. And they're, they are prone to make errors at the back. So... And you see
4: two results yesterday Norwich three, Mm. Luton nil. And then you see Reading three, Sheffield Wednesday nil. Mm. You know, what it's just like so bloody frustrating. Sorry, it's true,
1: it's true. And you know what? When they score their first goal, they go on and they want to score more now we'll get onto to a stat that you saw on Twitter that we find really interesting, Tiggs. But I just wanted to go back to Tom a second, because at the start of the season, we all said how amazing it was to have these individual match winners, like Stanislas can pop up with a free kick and Dan Juma does what he does. But we still found at the start of the season, our fluidity wasn't really there. Now we're starting to see players like Lloyd Kelly getting forward, something that we've not really seen all season. There are players in much more advanced positions. Jeff Lerma's getting up there. I know there are a few isolated games earlier in the season where he's done that. Do you think sometimes when Stanislas or Dan Juma have the ball, they're almost bewildered by the fact that, oh my God, I've actually got options now. Whereas previously it was all like, just do it yourself. Because Lloyd Kelly overlapped a number of times. The ball wasn't passed to him. And there are a number of combinations that start to look really good. But the final ball was just never there. Do you think they're just thinking, OK, now I've got too many options. I can't do it myself anymore.
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, I think that the, the change of system throughout the season probably hasn't helped, especially the wide players. Um, you know, sometimes they've had wing backs you know, behind them. Sometimes they've been a bit more central. Um, getting closer to Dom, then suddenly they're wide midfield. So, yeah, that doesn't help. And I think that's probably why uh, Woodgate, as as Tiggs mentioned earlier, with um, not having much time on the training ground, I think that's probably why Woodgate's gone. We're going to play this system now. We're going to play us back four. We're going to keep keep it solid. And this is how we're going to go for a bit. And um, and I think that's been the right thing to do and kind of keep that continuity. And I think, you know, if he can, he'll try and kind of keep a similar eleven week on week because we, we need to build relationships, partnerships, and hopefully that'll grow game to game but yeah I think in general we as you said at the start of the season we got a lot of lot of match winners that were kind of pulling us out of the rough if you know what I mean but if you look back I mean yesterday from a Preston point of view you'd say they gave us a goal because their defenders just don't know what he's doing and Dom's just nudged him out the way so they kind of gave us that goal really I look at the Bristol City game the goalkeeper's given us a goal because he's just pushed it in the net and then one's at our bum and I look at the Watford game and they switched off from a free kick and they've given us. So our last four goals have been given to us by the opposition. They've not been well-worked goals, really. Obviously, you try and look um positively and go, Oh, quick free kick from us against what for that was good thinking, yeah. good chase down from Dom yesterday, of course. But what I'm saying is the opposition would all say that was they were big errors. We're not creating anything ourselves. That all them goals, that there isn't many, you know, four goals in the last three, okay. They've all been gifted to us. And that's my concern. We're not really creating anything ourselves. Um, so we can talk about us gifting teams goals, but I don't think re- we have really um making making things happen for ourselves. I think, you know, opposition have gifted us goals as well. So that's the concern, is we're not we're not creating an awful lot. Um having said that, I will say that I think Preston's man of the match was probably the goalkeeper yesterday. Oh. So um, you know, that's that's got to be taken into consideration as well. I think he had a great game.
1: So in the first half, we had yeah Lloyd Kelly with that shot, and that came after a crunching Lewis Cook challenge set up Dan Juma to put um, in Lloyd Kelly. And then later on in the half, we had some nice little triangles between Adam Smith, Stanislav and Lewis Cook. It seemed like they had the ball for an eternity on the right apex of the box. Didn't do anything with it, but it looked good. Um, also, Dan Juma, he cut inside an awful lot and played the switch flanks I think one of them ended up with Adam Smith having a shot which was deflected and easily saved. And then we finally do score. And we've talked through the goal, as Tom just alluded to there, slanky hold-up play, threaded it through the eye of the needle. Not so much because there was an easy pass there, really, and Danjuma finished well. So from that point, Tiggs, you're thinking, let's crack on. Mm-hmm. But there's a particular stat with XG, something that I don't really understand. Do, do you know much about it, and can you explain
2: what
3: happened once we did score because we didn't push on debris? Well, like Sam, it's not my it's not my strongest area of, uh, of football knowledge. Uh, but Tom did Tom and Jeff tried to explain it to me a little bit before we came on air. So we're looking at the expected goals, so the opportunities that we create, and this was shared by Chris AFCB um, on Twitter. Uh, and I spotted it. I thought, it's brilliant. brilliant. So you can see there that dot there. That's the goal. And if you're uh, listening to this in your car, you can't see this picture. But there's a dot on the screen. It shows us where the goal is scored. And the graph before that is going up, 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 up to meet that dot. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of starts to level out. And this starts to show us now that actually after we scored that goal, our creation of chances kind of dries up. Goal mm-hmm. scored. We, what, stall, I guess? And maybe that's the story of a few games for us. I mean, Tom said there about us actually not really creating that many chances from which we then score from. You can see why we're relying on a bit of luck from from a, a mistake from another team, really, to score our goals.
1: And that Graph just exemplifies what I remember football under Sven Goran Eriksson for England to be like. Once we'd scored, we would just sit back. And mm. is that the defensive coach in Woodgate, or you know, we've got a number of defensive co- coaches under Eddie? We would go out and try to score more, and it was it was almost reckless because we we knew that we had quality in attack and we believed in ourselves. But now we just don't believe in ourselves. It, could it be a confidence thing, Jeff?
4: Yeah, it could could easily. Be. In fact, I think it is a combination of several things. I think there's a conservatism about the setup that we've got at the moment, conservatism about where the players want to play football. They want to play in front of the opposition all the time instead of getting in behind them enough. Um, interestingly, the full backs are overlapping more with a back four than they did with a back five, which is bizarre when you think about it because they should have had that freedom. With three centre halves behind them, but what in fact's is happening is that uh, Pearson's sitting there and covering the fullbacks in a really selfless way. So they're mm-hmm. bombing on and they're they're unleashed. The trouble is, the Danjuma and Stanislas and I'd, I'd put Lerma and Lewis Cook. You know, they're they're just they all want to play perfect flipping football, where you score the dream goal by passing it into the net from a yard out. Mm-hmm. And against the teams that we're playing. And the pitches that they're on. You know, you can't play perfect football on that pitch yesterday. You see that bobble that Lewis Cook had to deal with when he's got the dream chance to hit one from 20 yards out. That is what the pitches are like. You cannot play perfect football. Instead, the coaches are trying to get them to play percentages football, overlapping fullbacks, get the ball in the box, anything can happen. And we're just not doing enough of that to create goals that, you know, the defenders of... Championship sides are not as good as Premier League sides. So if you do that, chances are that will cause more problems for a defence than playing in front of them where they can see it all and it's easier. And I just think the coaches are struggling to get that across the players. The players are a bit lacking in confidence, so they all want an extra touch all the time. You know, they don't play quick enough one-time passes. Pitches aren't that great, so you can't play great football pressure of, we've got to win this game, so let's just go, let's just sit on it now because we've done it, you know. And players are just averse to taking risks. I was going to say, Sam,
3: what you said earlier about little triangles. So, uh, on the left-hand side, we're seeing little triangles as well between Kelly, Lerma and Juma. We've seen it a little bit. And if you look back at the highlights of the game, there's two instances where that happened. There's another point in the game which I found really interesting, which is a bit like what Jeff said. I think uh, Lewis Cook took a shot and he could have put it out wide. But some of our players are now not doing that because the ball from wide doesn't come in. Or if it does come in, it's, it's terrible. So it's almost like, for me, I wonder if uh, sort of our players who play in the middle, I think themselves, oh, I don't want to do that because last time I did that, the ball didn't go anywhere. So I'm just going to have mm. a shot. Um, so, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I, I, I think you're right. I think the, the, it'd be better if we could get a ball out wide. But the balls that come in from out wide
0: are... That's true. That
4: really really good point. And I, I, I wonder whether Stacey might be a better player in this system than Adam. It just, mm. it just, He's just yeah. got more drive to get past the opposition fullback and pull it back. And, you know, the goal against Burnley was a classic case in point. Um, I think Kelly yesterday was actually one of our best attacking outlets. Probably the 50 or 60% of the chances we got came from that left-hand side and from Kelly putting it in from the left flank.
1: I think I've seen a lot of Adam Smith recently, which seems, you know, the more his career has gone on, I almost think he's better without the ball than with the ball. That driving run he did uh, in one of our previous matches where Philip Billings scored it. I can't remember who that was against now. Uh, where he won the ball, he fed Sam Surridge, and he just bombed up the pitch. He overlapped, the ball was put in, yeah. and it met Phil Bill. And he's better without it. Now, so many times yesterday... The ball came over to his side and he gets on the ball and he does a little burst and then he just cuts back and he just stops. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that I'm finding really frustrating. I don't know why we always think it's better to play in front of them than try to put in the ball behind them or or put in an early cross because we've seen how successful that can be. And what also frustrates me is the ability to take men on. Dan Juma does it. There's not many other players that seem to have the confidence of doing it anymore. And it's almost like when a player on the left-hand side, say, Junior Stanislas or or Lloyd Kelly was there a few times, when you've got someone in front of you, it's almost like, okay, there's someone there. I can't go past him. Let's go back into midfield. And why aren't you taking a man on? Because they've got the pace, they've got the strength, they've got the skill, but they just don't seem to do it. And as a result, the ball gets played in the back and then, as I said on the free-for-all, invariably they kind of lose ideas and Lewis Cook was trying these little lofted narrow crosses from the center of the pitch and you know hoping that it will find someone it, and it doesn't work and it just seems all the fluidity and confidence is gone, doesn't it Tom?
0: Yeah, no, and I think confidence is is the key the key word here. I um, you know, even if I'm just, you know, thinking when I've played football and when you when you play and you're full of confidence, you kind of go to beat a man, you try and get a nice ball in the box. And if you're if you're on a bad run or whatever, you get the ball and your first thought is just play it safe, don't lose the ball. And and I feel like virtually everyone bar Dan Juma, but he almost goes completely the opposite way and frustrates us through that. But I think because Dan Juma is um, quite a, an arrogant, confident kind of character, which is which is fine by me. I want my attackers to be a bit selfish. I think I think all the best kind of attackers are selfish in a way, but um, I, I think it's a confidence thing. I think people like Adam Smith a good example. He's getting the ball. He's not confident that he can beat his man and put a good ball into the box. So in his head, he's thinking, if I just turn inside and just play that ball next to me to Ben Pearson then I haven't lost the ball. I've done my job. I've, 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 you know, recycled the ball well. And I think everyone's doing that. I think we're very conservative. So I think because the confidence is low when we get in the goal, we're then thinking, right, we've, we've got the win. We're 1-0 up. You know, we're, the win's here for us. Keep the ball. Just keep the ball. Don't take any risks. Don't be brave at all. Be very, very safe and just keep the ball and we'll win this game 1-0. And that's, that's what's going to happen. And unfortunately, teams uh, teams are pressing us and we've still got that that error in us. And um, and then suddenly we're chasing the game. And I also feel like probably we'll get into, I felt like it's difficult because we haven't got the best options, but I thought we could have changed it a little bit earlier yesterday. Um, we never, put it this way, when we when we go level um, and then we've got to go and win the game, I never thought yesterday we'd go and win the game. I, I never felt that we'd go and win that game 2-1. I almost felt like we will just going have to take a draw now because there's more chance of them winning it. We don't look like we can kick on to another gear, um, which was frustrating. But yeah, I think we just try and we are literally trying to get one nil head start and then see the game out. And I don't think we're it's different if it's you get the goal with ten minutes to go. Of course, then you've got a you know wins in the bag. But when you've got so long to play, I don't think we're we're good enough at that kind of job to just see the game out at one 0
1: I think Philip Billings' impact when he comes on is actually underrated and he would have been a great player to bring on yesterday. And I can't believe we're saying these words because there were some performances at the start of the season where we wouldn't have been saying that. But we did have options there. And Tiggs, did it surprise you that we were leaving these substitutions for so long? Because I think it was, what, mid-70 mid to 80 minutes when it happened?
3: Yeah, I completely agree with what Tom said. I just sat there thinking, he's got to change something. He's got to change something there's no way we're going to get back in and win this game unless we do. And then he just, he waited and waited. And then when we did change it, the changes were, we've got quality on our bench, but did we bring on the type of player that is going to turn a game around? I mean, we had players that we brought on, but then we changed formation to to adapt to that. So Shane Long, I don't think he's going to, He has got got a few goals, and there is a chance that he might get called back up to Ireland again in the international break as a result of those goals. But we've watched the games, and we know what those goals were like. They're not (laughs) they're not what perhaps people who are just watching it come up on teletext uh, are expecting. (laughs) What decade Um, are you living in? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, what Tom said was exactly right. We were never; it didn't feel like we were ever going to win that game unless we changed something considerably, and we didn't.
4: Woodgate doesn't know the players very well either. We shouldn't forget that. You know, how long's he been at the club? You know, a month, just over, it's not long. And maybe he's not really aware of what players like Jaden Anthony or Kilkenny might be able to bring. So in that sort of tight game, you're not going to trust somebody you don't know to just throw them on, whereas actually Jaden Anthony might have been a better option than Shane Long yesterday. I, yeah. think um, I think
0: that's. Uh, I think Woodgate said it in um, pre-match, talking about the youngsters and stuff, and and he said openly, he said, "Well, I've never seen him play ninety minutes. I've never seen him play." And I think uh, Tiggs alluded to it earlier. I think this week's going to be important because it's probably the first week he's going to have with with the group on the training pitch because um, we've had you know midweek games all the time. So I think from Woodgate's point of view, I, I think he's done well in the sense that he's thought. I haven't haven't got enough time with these group of players to make any sort of real, you know, massive change. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have a consistent kind of back four and like like we alluded to and just kind of get get a solid and hard to beat and hope the flair players can do it. Um, but yeah, he certainly doesn't know know uh, many of the the backup players. I, I felt I felt yesterday when he brought Shane Long on, which remember, he might not have done if Lewis Cook hadn't got injured. The only the first change was enforced. But he decided to go for for Shane Long um, and put another striker on. And I just feel, if you're going to get two strikers in there, even someone like he knows what Jack Stacey can do. Oh, can you just chuck Jack Stacey on, even if it's right midfield, or for Smithy and say you'll have a bit of energy in your legs. You can just get down that right flank and put balls in the box. We've got an extra body in there now. I felt that could have been an option. And I also feel like we're talking about lack of kind of creating chances. Why is Jack Wilshere not coming on till 85 minutes? Mm. 85 minutes, which. I mean, we're a team that's going, we're not creating anything. We've got Jack Wilshere sat on the bench and Woodgate knows from his first game, I believe it was his first game in charge, when we beat Birmingham, we scored three goals. Jack Wilshere was our best player and we looked so much more creative with him on the pitch, so he knows. Um, obviously, I would say that we don't know in terms of behind the scenes, Wilshere with his fitness. Woodgate's had serious injuries in the past as well, which he knows Jack has. So I'm sure that does, does play him, but... If he's available on the bench, he's got to come on before 85 minutes. Um, I think we conceded with about you know 20 minutes or so to go. I think as soon as we concede, you get Jack Wiltshire on. Um, and you and you take off a, a Lerma or a Pearson and be a bit braver. But like we've alluded to, I don't think we're confident enough to be brave. So I think we're almost, when we are conceding, we're going, just don't lose, just don't lose now. It's a shame we didn't hang on to the 1-0, but now just don't lose. Because I just think the confidence is so low that we're not in a position like we saw so many times under Eddie, where we just go for it. And it's a difficult balancing act, but um,
4: we do need to be braver. I think that's that's a key thing at the moment. This may seem like a weird thing to say, particularly after Watford, but I think we're also too nice. Key players in the team are too nice. Junior, mate, you've got to be looking to score every game and be ruthless about it. Dan Juma, once you score one, go for the hat-trick. You know, don't be, don't feel, oh, I've done it. Don't sit back and think, oh, you've done it. You know, that, it's not what Sterling does for Manchester City. You know, there's there's an arrogance about the same yeah. same sort of arrogance about him as there is about Arnie, but Arnie's kind of a bit too laid back for his own good. And I think a lot of our players were a bit like that. They're, they're kind of, when you've got a team under the cosh, kill them, be ruthless, put them out of, put, put them, put them in their place. And we don't have players with the character that do that. No, and I think
0: that's a, we've we've mentioned it a few times. I think that's a big thing of confidence again, is I think we're getting that first goal and we're not, we're, we're so scared about getting the second and taking too many risks and then getting caught up the other end, that we're just being so safe and conservative in our play. And you don't know if it's a bit being told from, from coaches or not. I don't know if they're saying, you know, once you've got the goal, calm it down, keep the ball. But equally, I think we've, uh, to give Woodgate credit, he has tried, like we've mentioned, to bond the fullbacks backs on and stuff like that. So that's not conservative. That's trying to trying to do stuff. So, yeah, it might be the character of the players, but we've alluded to it a few times there. Does everyone else agree that I feel for him, but Junior Stanislaus on the right-hand side, you almost might as well not play him. He doesn't do anything from that right. I appreciate why he's playing over there, but he's so ineffective from the right, I would almost think... Just play Stacey and and obviously we haven't got Brooksy available at the moment. Just play Stacey and Smith as a pair down the right, maybe. Mm. But it's almost, it seems like he's a completely different player when he's on the right. And we know that he can pull out a bit of magic from nowhere. I thought it was very evident yesterday that when we needed a goal, we decided to take him off. That said a lot about his performance because you normally just leave Junior on the pitch. And we decided to take him off. And I don't like him on that, that right, I really don't. No. we never see right. him switch either, do we? No, well, yeah, why no, don't we switch it down right.
1: again? Yeah, I agree. You know, you know, sometimes he's over there when we've got a set piece. But other than that, he's he's always penned to that right flank. And, you know, you might be right, Tom. And why not you, Stacey and Smith as a pairing? Because, you know, Smith doesn't bomb forward as much as he does anyway. He always likes to turn back. And Stacey, we know how good he can be. Maybe a four-four-two is the solution. Put Dan Juma up top with Solanke and then put Stanislas on the left. So, you know, then we can accommodate everyone. Then, obviously... There's a sentiment field to think about, and I don't know what we would do with that, but people were talking about on chat last night. What do you do, Jeff?
4: Mm, I, I'd be inclined to play a winger who's actually capable of crossing the ball on that right-hand side. Maybe Raquel May might be the player. I mean, I haven't seen enough of him to know whether he's, he could he could do that, but I, I agree it doesn't work with Junior. The problem is I think Brooks look like, looks like he's coming back to fitness, so we'll probably end up with Brooks playing there and maybe drop Junior or Dan Juma or Lewis Cook or maybe play maybe play junior in that Lewis Cook role to be a bit more creative as a 10. Uh if that yeah. does happen. You mentioned the word set piece there, Sam. Yeah. Can we just talk a bit about set pieces? Yeah. They now there's there's actually seems to be a bit more thought going into some of them. We've got the old England 2018 World Cup formation, which keeps appearing in the corner. Yeah. Uh, sort of routine. I'm not sure that's working. Maybe rethink that one. Um, there's there's a few sort of moves that are happening which are creating chances. Kelly had one the other night against Bristol City that nearly came off, but he hit it over the bar. Other than those small percentages, abject still.
1: Yeah, I think we're, tw- we're quite often like if we got a free kick from out wide, we're always putting two players behind it. And sometimes I think, you know, why not get that player in the box? But obviously they're trying to pull some more Preston or opposition players out to create more space in the box. And, you know, often their delivery is not good enough. They're not beating the first man. It's rare we're seeing some decent deliveries at the moment. OK, granted, Junior Stands has put that corner over in the late into the game at Bristol City to create our winner. But crossing, how many times have we said on the podcast that crossing has just not been very good? And sometimes you had a fr- had a free kick where the two players behind it, we look as though we're going to take it, but we don't. We play it short. Mm. And then I think we're just almost trying to create some confusion. People thinking, you know, they're going to whip it in. They don't. They don't know what to do. They have to then maybe push out. But we know what we're doing. Maybe we can score that way, but but we don't.
0: I don't know why we're overthinking it. I look at the game as a whole. Jefferson Lerma wins every header in, in a game. He, he wins so many headers, that guy. I think it was um, Bristol City He won all 10 aerial duels or something. I saw he wins so many headers. Steve Cook wins most of his headers. Carter Vickers wins most of his headers. Why are we not just putting the ball on their head? I mean, surely, when was the last... I don't think ever that we've got to March and Steve Cook hasn't scored. He always gets gold, goal, he always pops up from a set piece. I can't even remember him really having a chance this season because oh. the delivery is, is just poor. But it's not... I would understand there was a time, especially back away, where we'd always have a really small team... Um, like kind of an under O'Driscoll or something. And we try and be a bit clever from set-piece. I always understood it because I thought we're not going to win the header. But really, like the three players I mentioned there, they win headers all game. Mm. Why why, yeah. are they, why are we not just chucking a ball in their head? I, I don't... It's really frustrating. Um, as much as he doesn't give a lot in the game, I suppose Rico's maybe our best set-piece taker. But then has he's got a good cross. and then Why can't he just put in a good ball? And I think what um, Jeff was saying there about getting a winger that can get a ball into the box. Um, obviously, we don't know. Hopefully, Raquel May could, but we're not really seeing him. That's why I kind of mentioned Stacey, because I feel like he's probably got a few assists this season.
2: Mm. I feel
0: like when he get, even if it's just a cutback, I feel like when he's got down that right side, he's better oh. with his final ball than most. Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of why it comes to my head. But equally, that's why I want to see Lloyd Kelly, who, by the way, I thought was probably our best player yesterday. Um, he's bombing on better. But I remember like the Reading game, he put in a great ball and we scored from it. Why are they not just getting the ball at their feet and just driving a ball into the box? I think probably most of Dom's goals have come from just getting on the end of a ball as well. It is it is bizarre, but yeah, it's what we keep saying. We it's conservative, we're trying to turn back and, and play. And it's the same with set pieces at the moment. But yeah, that's infuriating me because I feel like we've we've got the players to just get our, get our head on something. Yeah,
1: we won't go on about it, but we will mention their equalizer. And I tell you what, if you watch the alternative angle footage. On the AFCB.co.uk website, you'll have seen that when we equalised against Bristol City, Steve Cook shouted, hey, butterfingers! And it was butterfeet <laughs> against Preston as Tiggs took us through it. It was a, a dodgy clearance, wasn't it?
3: It was a dodgy clearance. He, he turned inside, didn't he, and, and tried to put it... I'm guessing he saw one of our players a bit further up the pitch, That I'll just kick it up there, which is which is kind of um, Tinder-esque. You know, I think Jason would probably tell him to turn inside and pass it to somebody, whereas Woodgate would probably say, clear it, get it off, you know, go near outside. But he just didn't didn't see the man. And and it was, um, who was it for them? Johnson. Uh, Johnson. Johnson. And all game, he was a niggling, you know, uh, irritation to our players. And he he probably, he got yellow, didn't he, quite early on. And there was an argument that he could have maybe, if he hadn't got that yellow, he might have got yellow later on for some of the other things he was doing. Um, so of all the players to score, that was a really annoying. Um Yeah, yeah he just didn't, didn't think in that moment. But I think again, it all goes back to potentially how those players have been have been coached to play up to that point. There's an instinct from Steve Cook to want to turn inside and and you know get the play going again. I don't think that's the way that we're playing at the moment. I think that's the way that we're supposed to be playing at the moment.
1: Mm. Oh, so one all then, and we're seventh. Barnsley, a point ahead, Jeff, with a game in hand. They look unstoppable. It's crunch time now, isn't it? it? It really is crunch time. And there were times in the last couple of months we've been thinking, you know what, we're, we should be able to make the playoffs fairly easily. And there was always that outside chance of automatics. But in my mind, top two's now gone. Is that the same for you?
4: Top two's gone. But next week... Said we said this before the the Cardiff and Watford home games. Next two home fixtures are critical. Barnsley on a really good run. Jamie Swansea, who seemed to be nicking everything in the last minute, and six points from those two games puts a completely different complexion on how we all feel, how the team's going to feel going into that cup game against Southampton, and how we're going to feel going into the final nine games of the season after the Swansea. We, this this actually may not be a bad thing because we went into the Watford game thinking oh I'm not sure about this one and I'm I'm going into this these two games thinking I'm not sure not sure we're going to get points out of them let alone wins maybe that's the sort of motivation that that motivates these players it worked in the Watford game you know we had the best team performance we had all season need exactly that against barnsley we need exactly that and more probably against swansea Perfect games for us, in my
0: opinion. Uh, the way we the way we're set up, we keep talking about how we struggle with these teams with like a you know a very defensive mindset, and we struggle to break them down. And then when we saw against when we come up against teams that were on a bit of form and were you know feeling a bit better about themselves and wanted to attack more, Bristol City and Watford, we we got six points. I think it's the perfect game. I think we're Barnsley are, are on fire, which I think will obviously make it difficult, but it will mean they'll probably be a bit more open because they'll be confident. And I'm hoping that will in turn leave gaps defensively where people like Dan Juma will get a lot of space on the counter-attack and it will have a lot of one-on-ones, which, which could help us. It will just be about keeping the door closed because Barnsley are a very good attack inside. Um, I mean, it's making me look good because as much as I said that we'll win the league, which is probably not making me look good. I think halfway through the season, I said, I've got a slight feeling that Barnsley might have a run, you know, because I just, it's a really weird one. I keep saying it. We beat them four nil, but I thought they were really good. Um, and it's they're they're a young hungry side and um i'm hoping that um if it's us if it's us to find out for for the playoffs for example i'd like to think a little bit of experience might might help us but um yeah i, I genuinely think it's a, it's a good game for us because i just feel that they will be as long as we keep the door closed i think they'll be quite adventurous um and i think we'll we'll find some gaps but it's gonna be a difficult one but um I'm quietly confident. I don't know why. Oh I'm mate, really, you're always I,
1: I, though, if you think about it though, if we if we did get two wins, I mean we did it against Watford against Bristol City, if we did get two wins, then we're looking at these five games that we just had, thinking a return of thirteen points out of fifteen is excellent, Tom.
0: Exactly, run our way. Um We've got to keep looking at it like that and we kind of like two games and, and see how we go and just kind of, you know, Woodgate's uh, very good at saying, you know, it's the next game, it's the next game and that's what we've got to do. You have got to take it in isolation um, because, yeah, it looks like we like we mentioned, it looks good the last three, but, you know, take it in isolation, we should have won uh, yesterday. So, yeah, it's, it's a big, big couple of games, big, big couple of games, but um, I'm hoping that, like I say, it will be a, a nice a nice fixture for us in a, in a, in a weird way, um, but they're a good side, so... But I think it's really important that we've got a week on the training training ground for Woodgate. It's probably the first time he's had that. We haven't got a midweek game. I think that's going to be really good for him. Um, you know, and get the get the players fresh and get them recuperated ready. So um yeah, I, I think weirdly, as much as I think it's all about just just plugging away, making sure we get in the playoffs, and then just turn up in the in the in the playoffs. Because we ain't gonna get second um, now, in my opinion. It's all about it. just, mate, I think we're we'll probably just getting the playoffs. And then once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. It doesn't matter if you finish third or you finish sixth. It doesn't matter. Um, it's just then one-off games. And um, and then, yeah, three games, hopefully, in the, in the playoffs. And so anyone that gets to the playoffs, you can go up. So we could end up, you know, playing, say, Brentford, who come third, for example, have been brilliant all season. We've been pretty rubbish. We've got just much chance of them of going up. So just plug away, get in the playoffs, and somehow skank our way to promotion. Come on.
1: <laughs> that would be lovely. I don't know what the stats are like, Tiggs, about teams that finish third, fourth, fifth, sixth. I mean, usually it seems to be the ones that finish third are, are more likely to go up based on the fact that they've had some, you know, great form and a lot of confidence. But there have been a few occasions where the team that just creeps in manages to get to
3: Wembley. That could mm. be us. That could be us. And <laughs> fans might even be there. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it, if we could get there. Uh, you know, now you've said that we'll end up going on an amazing run, finish third, and then get beaten by Barnsley, who finished sixth, won't we? <laughs> now, now you've said that, Sam. Um, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, the thing is, you look at the, the games coming up, and it's in our hands still. You know, no one's going to go the whole rest of this season winning every game. So there is still a, a really good chance. You look at some of the teams we're facing, we're facing the teams that are in the playoffs, a lot of them still. And we play better against the top half teams because they play more expansive football. Uh, And we seem to get a lot more opportunities to score goals. So we're playing more, we can play more expansive football and we can nick points off the people people who are around us that is what we need. So it's still looking rosy in the garden uh, if you don't look too closely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So brilliant to have the boys on. Excellently done as well with myself. Yeah, blow my own trumpet. No, uh, Jeff Hayward, brilliant. Tom, Tiggs, as ever, brilliant. Love to hear their considered opinions on a Sunday. It's it's my little routine now. I absolutely love it, I've got to say. So, who's coming up next? It's a 10-minute taster. So, like I said earlier, we got a player, a midfield maestro, who scored an impressive 52 goals for AFC Bournemouth. It was a, a player that was equally at home up front or as a creative midfielder. He was part of the Cherries Wembley team of 1998. Plus, this is a big clue, he was capped nine times by his nation of birth, Northern Ireland. Of course, it's Stephen Robinson. So here's a little tidbit of what he said. And he may have even applied for the Bournemouth
4: job. And and what about the, the other players that, that you played with? Who Who would you say was the most talented of them all? At Bournemouth, um, a lot of
5: talented boys. You know, obviously Russell Beardsmore was a, a really talented boy. You know, it, you know you don't play for Man United if you, <clears throat> you don't have talent. And we've we've spoke about Fletch, and you know you you Coxey Coxey, you know on the ball, coming out with the ball was you know elegant. Jimmy Vincent, really really good player. Matty Holland, you know Matty out of everybody probably did Matty go on and do um, have the best career out of everybody. Maddie was Maddie was like a, a six and a half out of ten at everything. Maddie didn't excel at anything, he was just done done well at everything. You know, he was good at everything. Didn't have some you know, he was a good athlete, he was good in the air, he had two good feet, he scored, he defended, he, did, he didn't really have an attribute that made him an eight or nine out of ten, you know, where some people have goal scoring are, you know, technically brilliant. Maddie was just very good at everything, but I'd probably the, the main attribute that he had was his dedication and his his ability to you know he was so focused and, and dedicated. Um and he went on to have a brilliant career, you know, scored in the World Cup and, you know, you know, yep. was was probably the one that's went on to probably at the highest, you know, play at the highest level and the the highest career I would imagine. Um it, Scott Mean had so much natural talent. So much natural talent and, you know, Ended early, had bad injuries, and unfortunately, I'd probably say Scotty was, was probably the most naturally talented boy at the club when we were there, everyone had different... I, I think that's what worked it, at Bournemouth, everyone had different attributes. You know, Fletch was brilliant at the arm, Matty was a brilliant athlete. You know, yeah. you know, Chusey was technically very, very good. Um, Matty probably made the best out of his ability. You know, he, as I say, didn't excel at anything, you know, top-notch. But he managed to have a very, very good career. And I don't mean that to be derogatory at all. I mean that in the... I can't be any more complimentary. Yeah. him. You know, we, I, I work with players now who have a lot more talent than Matty ever did, you know, in terms of natural ability. But without the attitude, you know, hard work always beats talent if talent doesn't work hard. And Matty was the, the epitome of that, saying, he worked so hard and he made what talent he had, you know, be his, be at the top level every single day. and. You know, social dedicated to it. So, you know, probably naturally talented, Scotty. But who who's going on to probably have the best career and playing at the highest levels would, would probably be be Yeah, mm-hmm. I
4: was looking. There were some really interesting loan players came during your spell. Here, including Rio Ferdinand um, uh, had a had a spell at the club. Did you ever nutmeg him in training? And, and Rio was too big to nutmeg. was. <laughs> um, I, remember, I remember
5: Rio. Yeah, Rio came. And Michael Dubry came. We had. We yes, he did. Him. Yeah. At one stage with Michael Dubri and, and Rio Ferdinand and it was funny, Chelsea Chelsea called Michael Dubri back and he didn't want to go back. He was like, No, no, I want to stay here, you know. That was the camaraderie and what we created here. And the same with Rio when when Harry wanted Rio back, Rio didn't want to go back. He wanted to stay and play for Bournemouth because Nell had created that environment and you know the the camaraderie we had among the boys and the the talent we had among the boys, you know, they they suddenly had come from West Ham and Chelsea. They were nobodies at the time. Good young players. But, you know, all of a sudden they were somebody down here. You know, they were recognised everywhere they went. They'd, you know, become stars in their own right down playing for Bournemouth and didn't want to go back and, you know, the rest is history with the two of them. You know, Michael went back and, I had a very good career as well, and Real went on the fantastic things, you know. Yeah. Probably now you say Real would have been the the best player if I played with, but I wasn't there. He wasn't there long enough. Money yeah. was there a lot longer, but Real mm. was so so talented, so so talented. You know, he he glided. It was just it was a Rolls yeah. Royce footballer, he really was. Do so
4: he think- was seventeen or eighteen, wasn't he? And I remember he used to mark some right. Gnarly League League One centre forwards, but he just he, he just cruised away from all of them. It was it was it you could just see he was going to be incredible. Same with Jermaine Defoe, you could see it in the first two games that they were going to do something very special.
5: You can always tell. I mean, probably outside of Steve Davis, uh, who's probably the best I ever played with, and was lucky enough to coach him in Northern Ireland as well. Um, the first day I ever seen Steve Davis train. When I was in the Northern Ireland squad. I thought, oh, you know, you're you're a star, you're you're a superstar. I can't get near you. I can't, you, you know, you close me down too quickly. Rio was the same when you trained with Rio. The first day you went, well, this boy is is going to be something special. And you thought he's a young boy. You know the rigors of League One football. Some of them more experienced boys giving a little elbow here or a nip here, stand on your toes, didn't phase him at all. And you know you need that. Uh, I spoke about Manny having that, you know that. Sheer attitude to be the best he could be. Rio had everything, he was so talented, so quick, two great feet. I think at that stage, we were on the side of where he was going to play you know, whether he was going to play midfield, whether he was going to play at the back because he was yeah. so talented, he could play you could put Rio up front and he would, he would still have been been very good. So, not no surprise whatsoever with the, the career he went on to have and you know, the the levels he reached.
4: So, you, you left the club at the end of the 99 2000 campaign, Stephen. What was uh what was that all about? Because you were, you were, your best years were still to come, weren't they? <laughs> yeah,
5: it was. Um, you always think the grass is greener, don't you? You, do, you Always, you always. Um, you know, we, as you, say, you you alluded to earlier, the team had started to break up a little bit as well, and you know we had lost players and, and players had left for money at the time. And Bournemouth were always a football club that needed to sell players, you know. And Coxie had moved to Burnley. Um, and I had the choice to go to Burnley or Preston and you know Mel was very friendly at the time where Burnley's manager Stan Turnham so it was you know it was always the two of them where I was going to go to I, I chose to go to Preston um, a team that just got promoted into the championship and you know it, it didn't quite work out for me for for various reasons you know I'd gone from being the top man at Bournemouth you know really and maybe that was just in my eyes I thought I was the top man um, but going into that team we've been very successful um, that a midfield of um, Sean Gregan and Mark Rankin that played every game. David Moyes was the manager, and you know, he, he sold the club to me. Preston was a really good football club, you know, and really good infrastructure. Stadium was there, you know, the it was a step up in levels, you know, from from where Bournemouth were at the time. It really was a step up in level. It was a chance to play in the championship. Um, and I managed to play 30 times there before I, before I left, but I had problems with my back. I went there, always had problems with my back throughout, you know, in an operation. Of, at Bournemouth at an operation at an operation when I was 16. At an operation at Bournemouth and another operation at Preston. I got back, I got into the Preston team, scored actually the game, I came back and then I done my ankle and I'd, it was funny I was up in Scotland, I'd done my ankle, I was, I was a boy called Paul Hartley who have since some management come across as well. But our game was cancelled through David Moyes' connections in Scotland, took us up to Scotland to play. Um, and I got done in a friendly game just when I broke into the team, and I spent months trying to get to the bottom of it. And in the end, they found a small piece of bone that had stuck to the nerve and my ankle. So you know, people hadn't believed I was actually injured, you know. And I just couldn't force my way on a regular basis into the team. So it—it it was a club that was a brilliant club, you know. Um, I, I know that I do regret going in hindsight, yeah, because I didn't play and I didn't kick on the way I should have. I felt I could have kicked on and. You know, I ended up. I went alone at Bristol City. As I just spoke about, one of the first games was was back at Bournemouth, and um, yeah, Preston was a good club. It just one of those things that just didn't quite work out. But we actually got to the the playoffs the year I went to get into the Premier League. So you know, they just kept winning. They were on a the roll. They, they had momentum, and it was really difficult to break into. And you know, you lose a wee bit of confidence in yourself and your ability. And you know, it's it's difficult. But it, I think experiences like that bode you very well for. For where I am now in terms of dealing with players' confidence and and how to motivate them and and dealing with disappointment, which is very difficult for the modern player.
1: Wonderful. Absolutely loved it. So down to earth. And watch the whole thing on our YouTube channel now, if you want. What an absolute hero. Stephen Robinson, although, um, as Neil Young would say, he actually thought he was called Robbo Robinson for at least six months. You might want to watch the YouTube channel to find out why. Cool, thanks very much for listening. It's well, it's approaching crunch time, isn't it? Not many games to go, and we're gonna be ramping up the content on this audio podcast. We will be dropping all of the interviews that we've not yet put on here. So if you've been missing some of them, don't worry, they will be here. Obviously, we're doing it to incentivize the fact that if you if you watch on YouTube, you'll get everything first. We've got some more interviews coming up as well. Gerald Krasner. Yeah. Do you remember him? He was like an evil overlord at the time, but he was actually coming to save the club. And well, he was the guy in the press conference that apparently looked to the back of the room where Jeff Nostin modded. Is that, did that actually happen? Yeah, we'll find out. And there are some more coming up as well. So subscribers to our YouTube channel, we'll find out first who they are. So, yeah, no football midweek. Nice little break, but we're back with a vengeance. There's a couple of crunch games on the way. And, um, oh, yeah, just a small matter of Saints in the FA Cup and Danny Ings might be injured. As a result, get well soon, Danny, but uh, not before the 20th, eh. Hey? Up the cherries. And you've been listening to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. missed long ball looking for Solanke holds off the defender Dom Solanke's got space here has he got support he has and the ball is in the back of the net from Arnaud Danjuma and the flag stays down Paul Steve Cook poor ball straight to Daniel Johnson Preston with an opportunity here Daniel Johnson shot finds the ball at Cora and I'm afraid you have to say that Bournemouth in the last 5 or 10 minutes have looked a little bit more vulnerable